The Michigan primaries were last night. Donald Trump destroyed Nikki Haley and Joe Biden got 80 percent of the vote. But coming in second in the Democratic primary with 14 percent of the vote was uncommitted. Uh, That's a grassroots campaign started by Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib, the first Palestinian-American serving in Congress. She represents Michigan. Uncommitted is a warning across the bow, bow, warning Joe Biden not to take the Arab-American vote for granted, especially in Michigan. And the message was move quickly on getting Israel and Hamas to agree to a ceasefire. 100,000 Democratic votes were withheld from Joe Biden Tuesday night. That's the big story. Trump beat Hillary by about 11,000 votes in Michigan. That was in 2016. Biden beat Trump by 150,000 votes in 2020. 100,000 votes withheld from Joe Biden in Michigan could be cataclysmic in November. Biden has to win Michigan. It's going to be a long slog to 270 without Michigan. Everything is politics, and you're going to see a lot of pressure now on Israel and Hamas for a ceasefire. Michigan has spoken. I'll have more on the Michigan primary and the looming government shutdown that could happen as soon as Friday night later in this show. You're listening to The Mop Up for February 28th, 2024. Thank you for finding me. I'm David Feldman. We have a lot to get to. Senate Minority Whip John Thune, who many say is being groomed to replace Mitch McConnell, endorsed Donald Trump for president. Thune originally backed South Carolina Senator Tim Scott, who dropped out before any primary ballots were cast. Meanwhile, Indiana Republican Senator Todd Young still remains a hard no on Donald Trump. Utah Republican Mitt Romney, who was the Republican nominee in 2012, he lost to Barack Obama. Romney says he will not vote for Donald Trump, specifically because of the E. Jean Carroll decision where a jury found Trump did in fact rape her. Louisiana Republican Senator Bill Cassidy voted to convict Trump during the second impeachment trial. He has yet to endorse Trump. And neither has Iowa Republican Senator Joni Ernst, who said she won't say anything until the primaries are over. Ernst was an early supporter of Ron DeSantis. So the big question is Mitch McConnell. Mitch McConnell, who, along with his wife, former Transportation Secretary in the Trump White House, Elaine Chao, they have both been on the receiving end of Trump's nonstop attacks and McConnell, as of yet, has not endorsed Trump. Will he endorse Trump? Of course he will. McConnell completely alienated Trump by congratulating Joe Biden as early as December 16th, 2020, for his election victory. Before January 6th, and right after January 6th, McConnell urged Republicans in the House and Senate to certify the election for Joe Biden. He said, quote, the voters, the courts, the states, they've all spoken. If we overrule them, it will damage our republic forever. He then punctured Trump's lie by adding, quote, 
this election was not close. In recent history, 1976, 2000, and 2004 were all much closer. In other words, Joe Biden beat Donald Trump by 7 million votes. While McConnell voted not to convict Trump during the second impeachment trial for the role the former president played in inciting an insurrection, McConnell said it was up to the criminal courts to punish Donald Trump. But McConnell clearly put the blame squarely on Trump's shoulders. He accused Trump of, quote, feeding the mob lies. And then he added during the impeachment, quote, there's no question, none, that President Trump is practically and morally responsible for provoking the events of January 6th. So, Will Mitch McConnell endorse Donald Trump for the good of the party? Or will, we, will he withhold the endorsement for the good of our country? He is going to endorse Donald Trump because the courts. McConnell has always been about the courts. Donald Trump's first criminal trial begins in little under a month inside a New York City courtroom where he is charged with falsifying records and violating campaign finance laws when he paid hush money to porn star Stormy Daniels in the weeks immediately preceding the 2016 presidential election. That trial starts on the 25th of March and the Manhattan District Attorney who brought the case, Alvin Bragg on Monday, requested a gag order to prevent Trump from threatening him, his staff, as well as the judge, witnesses, and of course, the jury. If imposed, Trump's gag order would be the third. The judges in the New York civil fraud and D.C. election interference trials both issued gag orders last year. Hearings to disqualify Fulton County District Attorney Fonnie Willis resumed on Tuesday with Trump's attorneys once again failing to prove the prosecution should be shut down based on a trumped-up conflict of interest stemming from a romantic relationship between Willis and her lead prosecutor. Fonnie Willis indicted Donald Trump along with 18 others, charging them with attempting to overturn the 2020 presidential election in Georgia. This is one of the tougher trials for Trump. He's got a lot of trials. This is one of the tough ones because she has him dead to rights. Three of his attorneys, Jenna Ellis, Sidney Powell, and Kenneth Cheesebro, have already flipped. They've become cooperating witnesses. And there's, of course, the infamous phone call Trump made. We all heard it where he's bullying the Republican Secretary of State in Georgia to find him more votes. You heard the call. Plus, even if Trump somehow finds his way back into the Oval Office, he cannot pardon himself or anyone else in a state trial. His only recourse is to throw mud into Fonnie Willis's face, and he's doing that by accusing Willis of carrying on a romantic relationship with Nathan Wade, the lead prosecutor in the case. Willis and Wade have admitted to a relationship that began after Willis hired Wade, 
But Trump's attorneys are attempting to prove the relationship began before Wade was brought on. And that would suggest, I'm not sure, what? That they conspired to use his salary to go on three vacations together, which means what? They were using public funds to go on trips. These weren't public funds. He was on salary and she paid him back. But 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 somehow that should disqualify both of them, according to Trump's lawyers. And not only that, the entire prosecution must be shut down because it's what a conflict of interest or just another way for Donald Trump to do what he does best. Delay, 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 delay. Nathan Wade's former law partner, Terrence Bradley, took the stand Monday. He was billed as a star witness by Trump's attorneys in this evidentiary hearing to prove Willis and Wade were romantically involved before Wade was hired. See, this is the big phony question. Were Fonnie Willis and and Nathan Wade lovers before she hired them? Or did they become lovers after she hired them? Because if they were lovers before, what? I have no idea. But the whole purpose of of Terrence Bradley's blockbuster testimony was to prove they were lovers before Willis hired Wade. And just like the House Republican star witness, Alexander Smirnoff, he's the FBI informant who could prove Joe Biden accepted a $5 million bribe from Burisma. Just like that Republican star witness, it all turned out to be nothing. Smirnoff, the big impeachment probe witness, has now been indicted for lying to the FBI about the Bidens, and Terrence Bradley, the blockbuster witness at that evidentiary hearing in Fulton County, sat on the stand for two hours yesterday telling the judge, I have absolutely no idea when Fonnie Willis and Nathan Wade began their romantic relationship. White, you're the blockbuster witness that the Trump attorneys were touting. Was there... Were they romantically involved before she hired him or after? I really can't say. You know, folks, the wheels of justice turn slow, but only because Trump and his lawyers keep giving it a flat tire. None of this means anything other than delay, 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 and throw mud in everybody's eyes. It is an outrage that the presiding judge in this trial has let it go this long. This evidentiary hearing should be stopped immediately, and Trump's attorney should be fined for clogging up our system. Republicans are always railing against trial lawyers. Well, they're half right. The problem is Republican trial lawyers. The Arizona Mirror reports this morning that Republicans in the State House of Arizona are trying to pass a bill that would give Farmers in Arizona, the right to shoot and kill migrants who come on their land. Isn't that sweet? Invoking the Castle Doctrine, Arizona Republicans say it should be perfectly legal to kill anyone who wanders onto their property without permission. 
Halloween down there is going to be a real hoot this year. Donald Trump told Mike Johnson, he's the speaker, Donald Trump told Mike Johnson that he wasn't allowed to pass a border bill because the Trump campaign needs the migrants to run against in November. So Speaker Johnson was left with no option but to place the entire migrant crisis on the head of Homeland Security Chief Alejandro Mayorkas. And earlier in the month, Congress impeached Mayorkas on the second trial, on the second try. Now, this sham trial moves into the democratically controlled Senate, where conviction was always out of the question, and, as I predicted, so is a trial. Even Democratic Senator Joe Manchin is urging Majority Leader Chuck Schumer to hold a quick vote that would result in what is called a summary acquittal. Mayorkas was impeached by a do-nothing Republican-controlled House that wanted to look like it was doing something. But he's not going anywhere. He's staying right where he is. And the democratically controlled Senate, instead of dignifying this nonsense, is going to get back to doing the people's business because it's the Senate is not run by Republicans. All they can do is censure and impeach. They can't even pass a budget. Hunter Biden agreed late yesterday to testify in a closed-door session before the Republican-led House impeachment probe. Biden faced a possible contempt of Congress charge after his lawyers insisted that Hunter testify out in the open on national television, full transparency so Republicans couldn't selectively leak details from his testimony to spin their web of lies and deceit. But Hunter finally caved. He's agreed to go behind closed doors where he will be grilled by House Oversight and Judiciary, who, along with Ways and Means, are the three committees charged with leading the impeachment probe. Please remember, House Republicans have a key witness in all this. His name is Alexander Smirnov. He's been an FBI informant for 10 years, and he was just indicted for spreading lies, accusing then-Vice President Joe Biden and Hunter of taking a $5 million bribe from the Ukrainian gas company Burisma. Now, I'm going to go over this because they keep repeating the lie, and I'm going to keep disproving the lie. Here's the lie that Republicans repeat until enough low-information voters believe it's true. This is their lie. In exchange, and this, as we now know, comes from Russian intelligence, according to the FBI. In exchange for taking the $5 million bribe from Burisma, then Vice President Joe Biden would travel to Ukraine and urge the government to fire Ukraine's top prosecutor, Viktor Shokin, in order to, as this lie goes, protect Burisma from Viktor Shokin charging Burisma with any crimes. Republicans have built their entire impeachment case squarely on the shoulders of Alexander Smirnov, an FBI informant from Israel and Russia who has been feeding the FBI information for more than a decade. According to the latest indictment, Smirnov was just indicted. Smirnov is now to is now believed to have been working for Russian intelligence. 
The lie that Joe Biden got Victor Shokin fired because Joe Biden, as vice president, accepted a $5 million bribe from Burisma, Burisma, who wanted Shokin fired so they could escape prosecution. This is a lie spread by Republicans who got their story from Russian intelligence, as well as Rudy Giuliani, who many believe became an unwitting Russian asset during the Trump administration because he's a hopeless alcoholic. And the word is it's very easy for Russian intelligence to feed Rudy Giuliani phony stories. To repeat, Republicans are spreading a lie that came from Russian intelligence. That's according to this indictment. The lie that then-Vice President Joe Biden in 2015 ordered Ukraine to fire their top prosecutor, Viktor Shokin, because, the lie goes, Shokin was digging too deep into Burisma's corruption So Burisma paid then-Vice President Joe Biden to go to Ukraine and get Shokin fired. What is the truth? Here is the truth. The truth is that Joe Biden did, in fact, visit Ukraine in 2015. He was there to deliver a message from President Obama, the EU, and Western banks that Viktor Shokin had to be fired because he wasn't prosecuting corruption. In 2015, Obama was attempting to pull Ukraine away from Russia and towards the West. But Ukraine was riddled with corruption. And there was a $1 billion loan guarantee from the West. Biden delivered a message to Ukraine when he visited in 2015. And that message was get rid of Victor Shokin and bring in a prosecutor who who will root out corruption. Otherwise, you're not getting the $1 billion loan guarantee from the West because we don't trust you. And they got rid of Shokin. Now, MAGA loves to say there's video of Joe Biden bragging about how he got Shokin fired. Yes, he should be bragging. That's what they all wanted. The West wanted it. The bankers wanted it. The EU and Obama and our entire State Department wanted Victor Shokin fired. Here, read the headline. This is from the Irish Times in 2015. Read this headline. EU hails sacking of Ukraine's prosecutor, Victor Shokin. You see, the EU wanted Shokin fired. The EU, Western banks, Barack Obama, and of course our State Department all wanted Shokin out because the West didn't trust Ukraine with a $1 billion loan guarantee. Now, this is way too complicated for a simple MAGA mind to understand. And Russian bots, Russian intelligence, along with Jim Jordan and Jim Comer, who are heading the Biden impeachment probe, They're all playing to simple-minded Republican voters like they're any other kind who are only able to grasp that Biden got a prosecutor fired. That's all they can understand. And because Republicans are simple-minded, they automatically assume 
prosecutor good? Biden bad. Why would he? Why does he want a prosecutor fired? Right? Simple-minded MAGA Republicans, all prosecutors good, except, of course, when they're prosecuting Donald Trump. This is the tiny MAGA mind controlled by Russian intelligence. Russian intelligence, they know how stupid Trump voters are. Foreign prosecutors, not corrupt. American prosecutors, corrupt. Shokin, good. Special counsel, Jack Smith, bad. This is just repeating a simplistic lie for simple people. And you keep repeating it. Enough of them will believe that for $5 million, Vice President Joe Biden was willing to protect Burisma from a Ukrainian prosecutor as if Vice President Joe Biden needed $5 million, as if he didn't know the second he was no longer vice president, he was going to be making $5 million per speech, per book deal. Like he needed $5 million from Burisma. He could make that in a week after he was no longer vice president. Do you see this headline? Look it up. Google it. The Irish Times. Okay. EU hails sacking of Ukraine's prosecutor, Victor Shokin. Joe Biden was delivering a message to Ukraine from the EU, from Obama, from our State Department, from the entire Western banking community that wanted to give Ukraine a $1 billion loan guarantee, but not if they weren't willing to clean up the corruption. Okay? (sighs) But here we are. Instead of addressing climate change, the plight of the migrants, the rising cost of rent, Republicans would rather distract and deflect and get absolutely nothing done by spreading Russian lies about Joe Biden so voters will think come November that Trump is no more corrupt than anyone else. Donald Trump is in a league of his own. Nobody. He is the greatest of all time when it comes to violating the emoluments clause and just downright corruption. Plus, he's a rapist. He's a rapist. The president's brother, Jimmy Biden, went before the committees, the impeachment committees last week, and they got nothing from him. He said Joe, his brother Joe, had nothing to do with any business dealings that he and his nephew Hunter had been conducting. Now, were Jimmy Biden and Hunter Biden trading on the Biden name? Sort of, but it had nothing to do with Joe Biden. They try to make deals by leading people into believing they were in the loop, in the know. They didn't claim to have any illegal inside information. They weren't claiming that they could get Joe to do any of this. This goes on all the time. This is how K Street was built. Devin Archer, Hunter's friend who served alongside Hunter on the board of Burisma, testified last summer that Joe Biden was uninvolved with any of Hunter's business. Devin Archer said Hunter would occasionally call his father during business meetings as a branding exercise to say hello to his father and impress the people he was with 
but in no way did he use Joe or his connections to further any of their business interests, their business interests, Devin Archer's and Hunter's. Archer is currently out on bail, having been convicted of defrauding a Native American tribe out of millions of dollars. Hunter Biden had nothing to do with that. He was not implicated. Did Hunter Biden have bad friends? Probably. I'm sure Devin Archer is not somebody uh, you should be hanging out with. Was his judgment impaired? Probably. Is he an addict? Yeah. Did he not pay taxes and make a mess out of his life? Absolutely. Should I also play you the messages from Joe Biden telling Hunter during the depths of Hunter's addiction, how much I love you and how much I won't abandon you or give up on you. Did you hear those phone messages that were, were leaked, that Rudy Giuliani leaked? You've, some of you might have heard it. Is Hunter Biden sober now? I hope so. I think so. And why is he sober? Because he's got a great father who's standing with him and by him. He's loving his son unconditionally. Unconditionally, something we should all try. Here is the most important piece, however, of this entire Hunter Biden saga. Now, pay attention. This is David Weiss. He was appointed by Donald Trump. He is the special counsel in the Justice Department, investigating Hunter Biden. Last December, David Weiss indicted Hunter on nine counts of tax evasion. Hunter owed something like a million dollars, which he paid back along with the interest. Hunter's lawyers last year had worked out a plea deal based on the fact that Hunter was in the throes of addiction and got better, and finally made good on what he owed the government. That's what a normal person would get, is a plea deal. But the plea deal fell apart when special counsel David Weiss, appointed by Donald Trump, stepped in and indicted Hunter. Is that fair? Probably not. But if you're the president's son, you can't appear to be getting special treatment from the Justice Department. Again, David Weiss, the special counsel, is a Trump appointee. He is not in the Biden family's corner, which is why it carries so much weight that he arrested and indicted Alexander Smirnov and charged him with lying to the FBI by spreading phony Russian intelligence that Joe Biden accepted a $5 million bribe from Burisma. David Weiss is the special counsel. He would give anything to bring Hunter Biden down, along with Joe Biden. Instead, he indicted Smirnoff and sent a loud message to Republicans and anyone else who could follow this story that it is a Russian lie that Joe Biden took a $5 million bribe to order the firing of Ukraine's top prosecutor, Viktor Shokin. This is disinformation. 
spread by Russian intelligence that the Republican Party is way too happy to disseminate. Again, do you see this headline from the Irish Times? EU hails sacking of Ukraine's prosecutor, Viktor Shokin. Now, because it's so hard to keep this thread straight, if you're predisposed to believe the big lie, you're going to believe it. And there's nothing I can tell you to change that microscopic mind that you have, my MAGA listeners. That's what Russian intelligence Rudy Giuliani and House Republicans are relying on, that there are enough voters who are as stupid as they are. Well, Russian intelligence, not so stupid, but Rudy and House Republicans, dumber than the people who vote for them. At some point in a civilized society, we can't just be blaming Alexander Smirnov and arresting him for spreading this lie. At some point, the chairs of the House Judiciary Oversight and Ways and Means Committees have to be held responsible. They have to be sanctioned for taking advantage of our Constitution's speech and debate clause that exempts them from getting arrested for what they say as members of the House. The Constitution says they can't be arrested unless it's treason. Well, let me ask you, at what point does spreading lies from Russian intelligence in the service of Vladimir Putin become treason? Nobody else could get away with this. Firefighters and hazmat emergency workers were sent to Donald Trump Jr.'s Florida home after the former president's son opened an envelope, found white powder in it, and said, did I buy this? Don Jr. immediately blamed the Democrats for sending him this white powder. Really? Really? Not the Russian mafia you and your father stole from. It was the Democrats who were trying to send you a message. And now, with your daddy having to come up with half a billion dollars by next month to pay New York State, you don't think the Russian mafia, who you stole from, you don't think they're worried that daddy isn't going to be paying them back first? You know that money that the Russian mafia gave to your idiot father that he was supposed to launder, but instead he kept it for himself? Know that money? Did it ever occur to you that maybe the white powder was a message from the Russian mobsters you stole from? The message being, we get paid back first. Not New York. They don't get half a bill. You sell Trump Tower, that money goes to us not Letitia James. I don't think the Democrats sent you the white powder. Meanwhile, on his podcast, Don Jr. said yesterday that black men are constantly walking up to tell him that, quote, he is a hero. No, they're saying you're a zero, not a hero, a zero. What black man would ever walk up to Donald Trump and say, you're a hero? The New York Times reports that President Biden's surgical strikes against Iranian militia in Syria and Iraq has dramatically reduced the number of attacks against U.S. soldiers stationed in the Middle East. 
Biden began attacking Iranian-backed militia at the beginning of this month. After four months of Iranian-backed militia attacking our soldiers who were stationed in the Middle East. This happened about 170 times. A lot of our soldiers were injured. Some were killed. But Joe Biden is pushing back, and Iran seems to be signaling it doesn't want a war with America as the attacks against our soldiers have now stopped completely with just two minor drone strikes in Syria this month. Since Biden began hitting back, there have been two minor drone strikes. President Biden said he expects a ceasefire between Israel and Hamas to be in effect by next Monday. ABC News says, however, Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu is surprised that Biden is so confident about a ceasefire. Netanyahu says he's not done yet, and there are still several Hamas battalions located in southern Gaza, where more than a million Palestinians were ordered by the Israeli army to relocate. President Biden has given Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu a few more weeks to put into writing that he will abide by international law and allow humanitarian aid to flow into Gaza. Otherwise, the flow of American weapons will cease. The Michigan primary on Tuesday was a major test for Joe Biden's waning support among Arab Americans who are furious with him for his seemingly unwavering support for Israel in its war against Gaza. Michigan has the largest Arab voting bloc in the nation, many of whom cast a protest vote for uncommitted Tuesday as a warning that Biden needs to reverse course and stop taking the Arab-American vote for granted. They're demanding for an immediate ceasefire between Israel and Hamas. 310,000 Arab Americans live in Michigan. Trump beat Hillary by 10,000 votes. That was in 2016. Biden won Michigan by 150,000 votes. Biden cannot afford to lose the Arab American vote there. He lost 100,000 votes last night. 100,000 Michigan voters cast their ballot uncommitted to protest the situation in Gaza. Biden is trying to stanch the bleeding. He sent surrogates to Michigan earlier this month to meet with members of the Arab American community. A lot of Arab American, uh, a lot of Arab Americans living in Michigan refused to meet with his surrogates. So, like I said, close to 100,000 Michigan voters, Michigan Democrats, chose uncommitted, which didn't quite put a dent in Joe Biden's 81% landslide. But if you look at Dearborn, Michigan, which has one of the largest Arab-American populations per capita, uncommitted got 56% of the vote to Joe Biden's 40%. Again, 100,000 Democratic voters choosing uncommitted over Joe Biden is huge going into the general, and it sends a clear signal to the Biden White House. Uncommitted now moves on to Minnesota, which votes next week, 
and then Washington State, which votes the week after that. The uncommitted campaign began about three weeks ago and was partly organized by Listen to Michigan, their grassroots campaign, who began urging Democrats on Tuesday to vote, to vote, but to vote for none of the above, vote uncommitted. One of its leaders is Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib, who represents parts of Michigan. She is the only Palestinian-American serving in Congress. Uh, Listen Michigan, Listen to Michigan, was also founded by former Michigan Congressman Andy Levin, who says he wants Biden to beat Trump in November, but Michigan Democrats must convince Biden to stop the slaughter in Gaza first, a slaughter which has claimed close to 30,000 lives, mostly women and children. Again, Michigan is one of three key battleground states, along with Wisconsin and Pennsylvania, that Biden won in 2020, Hillary lost in 2016, and that Biden needs to win in November. Well, an interesting side note, as you know, Donald Trump is adamantly opposed to mail-in ballots. According to the New York Times, Democrats and Republicans Tuesday were split evenly when it came to not showing up to the polls in person. Democrats edged at Republicans with 503,000 mail-in ballots versus Republicans with 495,000 mail-in ballots. This is huge. Republicans are getting acclimated to mail-in ballots, which suggests Donald Trump is going to have a tough time convincing Republicans to vote in person come November, which he needs because normally those votes are counted first. And that creates an illusion of a red wave, allowing him to discount mail-in ballots, which are counted after. He can then say, those are phony ballots. That's voter fraud. As you know, back in 2020, he claimed we were winning, and then all of a sudden, we were not. That is because traditionally Republicans don't vote by mail. They show up and vote in person. Those votes traditionally get counted first. But now the entire paradigm has shifted with Republican voters now enjoying the convenience of mail-in ballots. And that's going to make it that much harder for Donald Trump when he loses in November to claim voter fraud. Michigan Republicans are amassing their delegate count differently from Democrats. Now, for Republicans, 55 delegates are up for grabs this week, but with 16 of those delegates awarded based on Tuesday night's outcome. The remaining 39 delegates will be determined at a state convention scheduled for Saturday. Actually, there might be two conventions on Saturday because Michigan's Republican Party is broke and completely in disarray. There are some uh, court rulings that came down late last night. There may just be one convention, but this is give you an idea of how broken and crazy 
this Republican Party is. Earlier in the year, Michigan Republicans voted uh, to remove their chairwoman, Christina Karam. She's a QAnon spouting election denier who then denied the outcome of the vote that removed her as chairwoman of the Republican Party. See, this is a problem when you're a party of election deniers. Uh, You hold an internal election, and if the election denier loses, she says, I deny. It's not just denying Democrats beat her. She denies that other Republicans beat her. So she decided to hold her own separate convention on Saturday, but there's been some late court rulings Tuesday night that may not happen. But she ran the Republican Party. Christina Karam ran the Republican Party for, what, like a year and a half. They're broke because of her. She, uh, QAnon, she accuses Ariana Grande, Beyonce, and Jay-Z of being Satanists who harvest the organs of fetuses after an abortion. The Daily Beast says this was the chairwoman of the Republican Party in Michigan. The Daily Beast reports that Karam told Republicans that demonic possession is transferred through sexual contact. That, I think, is true. That may be true. So, anyway, in a move highly reminiscent of the false elector scheme, she is trying to send her own slate of delegates from Michigan, hoping the RNC's main office in Washington will recognize her competing slate of delegates as opposed to Michigan's official slate of devil-worshipping delegates who were sanctioned or going to be sanctioned by the new official Michigan state chairman of the Republican Party, former Congressman Pete Hoekstra, who also served as Trump's ambassador to the Netherlands. Now, two years ago, I would say this is not normal. Now, this is normal. This is par for the course when it comes to the Republican Party. This is the party of crazy. From top to bottom, crazy. From soup to nut jobs, crazy, insane. It's a repository of people in desperate need of an education and a psychiatrist. That's what the Republican Party has become. More on Michigan. As I said, Biden cannot lose Michigan in November. That's one of the reasons he became the first president in American history last September to march with striking auto workers in Detroit. That earned him last month's belated yet enthusiastic endorsement from Sean Fain, president of the One Million Strong United Auto Workers. In his speech, throwing his support behind Biden, Fain called Trump a scab who would never side with the workers. According to Axios, one-third of UAW workers voted for Donald Trump in both 2020 and 2016. See, Sean Fain withheld his endorsement till after the strike. 
when you withhold your vote, the Democrats listen. And Joe Biden buckled and marched with the UAW. What's going on in Michigan with uncommitted 100,000 Democrats withheld their vote from Joe Biden. That's how you move the party, by withholding your vote. You're going to see a different Middle East policy because of what happened last night in Michigan. You're going to see Joe Biden distancing himself further from Benjamin Netanyahu. He's already sanctioned the, uh, the settlers on the West Bank. There's been some stuff. He's been pushing the two-state solution. There's going to be a chill now between Israel and the United States, partly because 100,000 Democrats withheld their vote for Joe Biden Tuesday night. The International Brotherhood of Teamsters, representing 1.3 million truckers, has yet to endorse a candidate. President Biden meets with their leadership next month in Washington, D.C. You're looking at Sean O'Brien. He's the head of the Teamsters who almost came to blows with the fraudulent Republican senator from Oklahoma, Mark Wayne Mullet, or Mark Wayne Mullen, that POS. Remember that? I showed you clips of... Mark Wayne Mullen. Mark Wayne Mullen. Anyway, uh, during Bernie's hearing last year, they almost went to blows. Well, everybody wants the Teamsters' endorsement, so all the candidates are kissing the Teamsters' ring. Trump is going to meet with them. Robert F. Kennedy Jr. and Congressman Dean Phillips. They've all agreed to meet with the Teamsters to try to get their endorsement. Every candidate but one, Hick, he, Haley, Hickey Haley, or Nikki Haley. She is not asking the Teamsters for an endorsement because she bills herself as a proud union buster. Imagine, imagine that. Imagine thinking you can get elected president. Imagine being able to sleep at night calling yourself a proud union buster. Hickey Haley on the campaign trail said that as governor, boasted that as governor of South Carolina, she discouraged union factories from coming to her state for fear they would, quote unquote, taint the water. More on Michigan. John Nichols over at The Nation reports Michigan has become the first state in nearly 60 years to reverse its right-to-work laws. This is huge. Listen to Michigan. It's happening in Michigan. Right-to-work laws started in the South immediately after World War II. Right-to-work laws, Nichols right. I think it's it's Taft-Hartley. This is because of Taft-Hartley. Right-to-work laws were passed to undermine unions by preventing them from classifying an entire workplace as union only. In other words, in a right-to-work state, factory workers are free to hold a union vote. They can even vote to unionize. That's federal law. But in a right-to-work state, the workers are given this false choice. If where you're working becomes union, you don't have to join the union. 
you don't have to pay dues, but you can still benefit from whatever contract the union negotiated. So without dues, unions find it impossible to gain a foothold and eventually wither in these so-called right-to-work states. Right-to-work, it should be called right-to-work-for-less-money states. Unions only thrive when workers have no choice. It's either a union shop or it's not. You can't work here unless you're a member of the union. And you have to pay dues. That's the way it is. Now, Republicans have succeeded in convincing way too many that the unions are the bullies in all this. The Republicans have done a great job since the Powell memo convincing too many Americans it's unfair. It's unfair that workers are bullied into joining unions because we all know workers would rather be bullied by their bosses who fight them every step of the way on workplace protection, pension, health care, overtime, and livable wages. Do you know how many hundreds of billions of dollars are lost to wage theft in non-union, I'm sorry, right-to-work states? Why do we allow them to call these non-union states right-to-work states? How about slave states? We should start calling them slave states because that's where these uh, right-to-work laws began in the old Confederacy. It's hard for a leopard to change its spots. Michigan, long a bastion of the labor movement, became a right-to-work state 12 years ago under the leadership of Republican Governor Rick Snyder. Republican Governor Rick Snyder, you may remember him as the POS who poisoned Flint's water supply with lead and never went to prison. His only punishment after leaving office came when Harvard's Kennedy School of Government gave him a teaching job, but then quickly rescinded the offer after they were informed Snyder as governor poisoned black people in Flint. What? Are you going to blame the Harvard School of Government for not knowing that? How are they? How is the Harvard School of Government supposed to know everything? They teach government. How is Harvard School of Government supposed to know the governor of Michigan poisoned black people in Flint? What does that have to do with teaching government? You know, besides everything? (sighs) I wonder if they would take me in France or Canada. Michigan's government, or maybe I'll move to Michigan. Michigan's government is now controlled by Democrats, like Governor Gretchen Whitmer, who signed this major pro-union piece of legislation last year, saying that Michigan is no longer a right-to-slavery state. 
I'm not going to call it right to work anymore. It's a right to slavery state. She signed the law last year, and it all went into effect this month. This new law not only eliminates Michigan's right to work status, but also bolsters the rights of public service employees to negotiate and join unions. That means Democratic lawmakers kept their promise by preserving the rights of teachers, grad students, and other public employees to organize. This is a major step forward, coming after decades of Republicans decimating union membership in the private sector and then targeting public employee unions, making it difficult for government workers, except, of course, the police, to organize and engage in collective bargaining. And again, nobody wears their union-busting reputation as a badge of honor more than Hick He Haley, the former governor of South Carolina. At least Donald Trump has the decency to lie, to go to Detroit and lie to members of the United Auto Workers. Hickey Haley doesn't even want to be bothered with them. Again, she has billed herself as the most anti-union candidate out there. According to the New York Times, she proudly calls herself a union buster. When the United Auto Workers went on strike last year, Hickey Haley attacked Joe Biden for marching with the workers, and warned that higher wages would just be passed along to the consumers. That old chestnut. Hickey Haley, in 2014, as governor of South Carolina, said, quote, I discourage any companies that have unions from wanting to come to South Carolina because we don't want to taint the water. Republicans don't want to taste the water unless, of course, If it's Flint, Michigan, then taint away because it's all about choice, right? Black people in Flint should have a choice between tap water that's filled with lead or bottled water that's filled with micro and nanoplastics that damage the brain, heart, liver, kidney, and lungs because it's all about choice, except when it comes to your drunken stepfather's baby That you have to carry to full term. It's all about choice, except your rape baby. That you have to keep. That's who the Republicans are. The party of ladies, keep your rape baby. And of course, thanks to the Alabama Supreme Court, frozen embryos are people. And good luck running on that in November, Republicans. Boy, is there frozen embryo on your face, which in Alabama, I think may be murder. I think having egg on your face is first-degree murder now. Four bills, four appropriations bills have to be passed and signed into law by Friday. Otherwise, we face a partial government shutdown And there is no way, no way those four bills are ever getting passed. So the question is, can Congress pass 
yet another continuing resolution. President Biden met with the House and Senate leadership in the Oval Office on Tuesday. That would be Mike Johnson. He's the Republican Speaker, along with Minority Leader, Democrat Hakeem Jeffries, Senate Majority Leader, Democrat Chuck Schumer, and Senate Minority Leader, Republican Mitch McConnell. Coming out of the meeting, the consensus seems to be that Moses, I mean Mike Johnson, cannot govern. He's not up to the task. His Republican caucus is unmanageable, and he's an idiot. When the subject of funding Ukraine came up, Johnson lied to Joe Biden's face and said, I will not address Ukraine unless we also do something about the border. That is a lie. Republicans and Democrats ironed out one of the most ambitious border bills in three decades earlier this year which Donald Trump proceeded to kill, ordering Johnson, kill that bill because I need the migrants to run on in November. Under no circumstances can Biden get any credit for fixing the border. There he is hugging the flag again at CPAC without consent. I think I'm allergic to... uh this country, my nose is just, I don't know what it is. Back to Ukraine. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen said America should unfreeze roughly $300 billion of Russian money that's held by our government and turn it over to Ukraine for aid in the rebuilding of the Ukrainian economy. Yellen, who previously served as chairwoman of the Fed, said there's both a strong legal and moral case for freeing up Russian money and turning it over to Ukraine. Ukraine is beginning to lose the war. And the Russian economy, despite economic sanctions, seems to have rebounded and could possibly be thriving as Russia sells its oil to China and India. Now, I've always said from the beginning that Biden needed to drag Putin and Zelensky to the bargaining table. But I don't know enough. I certainly don't know enough about Putin. And I don't know if he was ever willing to be an honest broker. Minsk Accords notwithstanding. I do know who's on the side of Putin here in America. And I know they're corrupt, amoral, and either on Putin's payroll or trying to be. I've also noticed that the Republicans and the hard right who oppose funding Ukraine are playing a trick by calling Biden the hawk, the warmonger, for wanting to arm Zelensky when it was, in fact, Russia that invaded Ukraine. Now, I'm pretty certain, I don't know that much about the region, but I'm pretty sure Ukraine is a sovereign nation that has a right to defend itself. I'm pretty sure that if you punch me, and I punch you back to defend myself, I'm not the bully. But the framing from the right is Joe Biden wants war, and if he were for peace, he would sit back and allow Putin to take over Ukraine. I don't know that much. Maybe I'm wrong, but that doesn't sit well with me. I don't know enough about this other to know other to be certain the people who are rooting, tooting for Putin 
are dishonest. I don't trust them. Jimmy Dore. I know if Jimmy Dore is rooting for Putin, I know not to root for Putin. If Tucker Carlson is rooting for Putin, I'm not rooting for Putin. And you know who I turn to on issues like this? I turn to Bernie Sanders. In a democratic republic, we elect leaders who spend all day studying these subjects. And we can find some who we trust. And through leadership, they teach. And Bernie has taught me. Now, Bernie opposes funding for Israel because of the mass slaughter of Palestinians in Gaza. But he supports funding Ukraine. A year and a half ago, Bernie said America must help Ukraine resist the Russians and urged the Progressive Caucus to withdraw a letter they wrote to President Biden urging him to negotiate with Putin over Ukraine. And they listened to Bernie and they withdrew that letter. So why would Bernie Sanders, of all people, be against negotiating with Vladimir Putin? I trust Bernie Sanders over Tucker Carlson. This is what Bernie said a year and a half ago when Joe Biden was being accused of being a warmonger because he wanted to give Ukraine arms. Quote, Bernie said, Democrats? warmongers when you have putin breaking all kinds of international laws unleashing an incredibly disgusting and horrific level of destruction against the people of ukraine unquote now i know mike johnson is a liar uh i trust bernie mike johnson said the last thing he wants is for putin to march through ukraine adding that the rest of Europe would be next. But it is Mike Johnson and Mike Johnson alone who is holding up the $61 billion in aid for Ukraine. All Mike Johnson needs to do is introduce this bill on the floor of the House and it would pass because Republicans hold a slim majority in the House Every Democrat would vote in favor of aid to Ukraine, and there are still a handful of Republicans who aren't taking money from Vladimir Putin, so they would vote for it as well. Mitch McConnell, Moscow Mitch, remember they used to call him Moscow Mitch? He wants to fund Ukraine in the Senate, as obviously does Schumer. It passed for all intents and purposes, in the Senate. It could pass in the House, but one man, Mike Johnson, is holding up the funding for Ukraine by not bringing it to a vote because he knows it would pass. And he takes his orders from Donald Trump, who takes his orders from whom? Vladimir Putin. And if you don't know that by now, I cannot help you. I cannot help you. Now, one tool to circumvent Mike Johnson is for the House to pass what is called a discharge petition. You just need a simple majority of the House of Representatives. It's called a discharge petition. A discharge petition takes a bill that's being held up by the leadership, somebody like the liar, Mike Johnson. The petition says, nope. 
bring it to the floor for a vote, as is. Discharge the bill, Moses. Let my, let my bill go, Moses. And if a simple majority votes in favor of discharging the bill, then it's introduced on the House floor. And there is no doubt that aid to Ukraine would pass. In fact, Mike Johnson would probably vote against the discharge petition. But once the funding bill was taken to the floor, I have no doubt he would vote in favor of it. Unless, well, Donald Trump. Donald Trump. Right now, America is providing very little to Ukraine. NATO and the EU are picking up the slack, but their military-industrial complex can't produce weapons and ammo on a scale we can. Now, nobody's asking your sons and daughters to fight in Ukraine, except the president of France, but that's not going to happen. I could... Defend Joe Biden on this. I'm going to move on. Now, remember, there is still no... How are we doing on time? Okay, I'm going to wrap it up. There is still no budget for 2024. Congress should have passed one by October of last year, and now a partial government shutdown is a distinct possibility by Friday, with the House returning to work today after a much-deserved two-week vacation. Partial government shutdown Friday. They come back to work on Wednesday with, what, three days to pass four appropriations bills? Yeah, that's going to happen. To refresh your memory, the budget is made up of 12 appropriations bill. A government shutdown was averted back in November after Congress passed what they call a laddered continuing resolution where 25% of the government would shut down if Congress can't pass four appropriations bills by Friday night, with the rest of the government shutting down on March 8th if Congress is still unable to pass the eight remaining appropriations bills. Okay, the four appropriations bills that are due by Friday are considered the easiest to pass. They haven't even touched them. And the second tranche of bills require way more finesse since they finance a bevy of hot-button issues, the hot-button issues that you would find in appropriations bills for defense, homeland security, health and human services, and the Department of Labor. So, Speaker Johnson got himself elected Speaker by promising no more continuing resolutions And he immediately broke that promise in November. He also promised that members of Congress would be given three days to read any bill before having a vote on it. Well, that means he has to present members with a new continuing resolution today because they have to vote by Friday. Or he has to present them with an omnibus spending bill today because it has to pass by Friday. He has to deliver those bills to Congress so they have three days to read it. Did I mention he gave everyone a two-week vacation and they come back to work today? And somehow 
He's going to deliver something for them to read today so they can vote on it Friday. So what is this genius going to do? Well, the power of prayer isn't working, a-hole. Maybe, uh, all right. There is talk Johnson might somehow be able to extend the two continuing resolutions by several days, maybe one or two weeks. That's the talk. There is word that he was on the phone with Joe Biden and saying that he could maybe get the continuing resolution that expires on Friday. He may be able to push that uh, deadline ahead by one week. And now we have a second continuing resolution that expires on March 7th. There's talk that he might be able to extend that until the 22nd. To avoid a partial shutdown on Friday, Johnson will have to uh, break another promise by passing yet another continuing resolution through a process known as suspension And I'm out of time, so I'm not going to cover that. And all right, I'm going to wrap it up. Uh, The child tax credit. There's some good news about the child tax credit. We may, because of Mike Johnson, there may be expansion of the child tax credit. And I'll end on this piece of good news. Uh. Mike Johnson has accomplished nothing. However, he did pass the single most progressive piece of legislation since Joe Biden signed the Inflation Reduction Act into law, the Tax Relief for American Families and Workers Act. It passed the Republican House with an overwhelming bipartisan majority. Only 70 voted against it. This will lift millions of children out of poverty once again by expanding the child tax credit. If you remember, the child tax credit credit was expanded significantly early in the Biden administration, but it sundowned and by 2022 was gone. They still had the child tax credit, but not the expansion. During that brief period, of the expansion, we saw the greatest reduction in in poverty since Lyndon Johnson was president. So to make it a bipartisan bill, it also expands certain tax credits for corporations. It is languishing. It passed in the House. It's languishing in the democratically controlled Senate where Chuck Schumer is having trouble getting the 60 votes necessary to overcome a filibuster. A lot of hardline Republicans object to hundreds of thousands of migrant children who have gone through the system, been granted parole, are awaiting their asylum hearings. This bill, to Mike Johnson's credit, God bless him, would provide the, the, uh, the, the, the expansion to hundreds of thousands of migrant children. And that is what is causing the holdup in the Senate. But I said when I talked about this earlier, Mike Johnson is a POS. But if he gets the child tax credit expanded, uh, 
I can forgive a lot of his transgressions. This would be huge. And we're hearing late Tuesday night that there's some movement in the Senate on this expansion of the tax credits. This guy has done a lot of bad things in his life, Mike Johnson. But I said on this show, if he gets the child tax credit expanded, and it looks like it's going to be expanded retroactively so that when people are filling out their taxes on April 15th, they will receive money for 2023. This would be huge, and it would lift, once again, millions out of poverty. Uh, I don't know. Mike Johnson would almost be okay in my book uh, if he gets the, It did pass the House. It did pass the House. Well, he'll never be okay in my book. But uh, he is taking care of the, the weak. That's what children. You've got to take care of children and lift them out of poverty. I'm David Feldman reminding you to stay strong and protect the weak. I didn't have time to get to everything. I'm going to try to do a show Thursday night. If you enjoyed any of this nonsense, please hit the like button so I remain in your feed. Please share this episode with your friends. That's the best way to help me is by liking this and sharing it. Thank you to everybody in the chat room. Thank you to Bob, who keeps the comments uh, civilized. Uh, Leave a comment. You know that I read all your comments, so please leave a comment and uh, subscribe to this channel and my newsletter. Thank you all.